You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. Today we have a special episode. We brought on our first guest, Sean Chadwick, to discuss ozone with. He has a PhD and works as a chemical engineer, so if anybody understands what's actually going on with ozone scent elimination, it's him. In addition, he's also a hardcore whitetail hunter and understands how we need to address these things in a real-world sense. None of us have any affiliation with any scent control products, so what you'll hear is truly our unbiased thoughts. Just a fair warning, the beginning of the podcast is pretty technical. We go over the background of ozone, what it is, what it's used for in industries outside of hunting, how it's used in industries outside of hunting, and the mechanism by which it attacks scent. After that, though, we transition into the real meat and potatoes of the podcast, which deals with the real-world application of ozone for both in the tree generators and generators designed to go in totes or closets. How did your season uh, go so far? I haven't really uh, paid too close attention to social media. It's been kind of uneventful in that uh, you know, I, I had big, uh, big plans of hunting a lot in November and uh, work called and I had the uh, Head off to the Middle East for two weeks, so I canceled my vacation, and I got back the day before rifle season in Wisconsin, so I missed pretty much all November bull hunting. Oh, man. And uh, I got back, and uh, I, I, I hunted a little bit. I, I saw some bucks. I saw some nothing really nice, obviously. Otherwise, you would have seen it. Um, and then I think Sunday is going to be my last hunt of the season. So, Well, I have the metro area of Hudson, Wisconsin, pretty close by so their season technically extends out to the 31st but i mean i already got okay. a couple trail camera pictures of bucks that appear to have dropped their antlers so and everything's been coming it's been so nocturnal everything around that metro area is i just it's all small track stuff basically not hunt and just look at the cameras and if i start seeing a reason to get back out there then i probably will but other than that it's moved, transitioning to ice fishing yeah for sure <laughs> I know, I know my kids are getting excited about ice fishing too, and, um, but 
at the same time, you know, it's been wicked cold, so it's been easy to focus on bull hunting. So right, right. <laughs> Hopefully, I can get into some ice fishing this year here in Utah. <laughs> I've never I've never ice fished a day in my life, so it'll be a interesting adventure, that's for sure. So yeah, I guess to to start the podcast off, since we're obviously bringing you in, Sean, for your expertise in relation to ozone, could you just give us a real quick rundown of I guess your your background or qualifications? Uh obviously we know that you're a pretty hardcore deer hunter and you've used ozone in your own hunting systems, but there's a little bit more understanding that uh, gets put behind the decisions that you make regarding it. Well, um, I've been uh, working with a lot of, I guess, hunting-based scent elimination technologies for the last 10 years in my professional life, not directly. I'm a chemical engineer by trade, and I've been working in ozone and activated carbon technologies as well as many other technologies for the last about seven, eight years. I got a PhD from uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison and uh, did my bachelor's at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. So when it was all done, I thought it was going to be like a – and that's what I am today. I'm, I'm, I'm like an environmental chemical engineer. I actually I focus on water reuse and water purification in oil and gas environments and how they uh, reuse water and in refineries and petrochemical plants. So yeah, that, that, that's what sends me to places like uh, the Middle East in the in November is because of uh, because of the work in oil and gas. So that's a that's a pretty high task asking to take off your or cancel your vacation right when you're about to to go on it. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, hopefully, I can leverage that uh, coming in the turkey season if I get a permit. So. There you go. So let's let's go ahead and dive into this. Can you kind of give us just a a brief overview of what is ozone, basically? It's three atoms of oxygen all tied together. It's a colorless gas. It's unstable. It's one of the strongest oxidants, natural oxidants. You know, knowing the man, you know, it's right behind fluorine as far as oxidation potential, and it's used all over the world just because of that, because it is a strong oxidant. And when you say it's a strong oxidant for the listeners, um, could you just give a real brief explanation of what that means? An oxidant is something that's going to to essentially add add oxygen to a compound. Um, if a compound has an oxygen demand, you know, in a natural environment, it's going to readily react to it. So it's just a, okay. basically like a way of uh, saying that this molecule of ozone is somewhat reactive and when it reacts with certain molecules certain chemicals it'll spark some kind of reaction correct you, you mentioned that it was created naturally how is it created uh, naturally obviously we know it can be created artificially as well but i mean uh, th- there's several ways that it's created naturally i mean in the natural world it's kind of funny i mean uh, it I work, I work for a company called Siemens, one of the largest technology companies in the world. And Werner von Siemens is, you know, he, he did a lot with ozone early on and, and several others did too. But, you know, the, the, there's natural sources, you know, associated with electricity and lightning when you uh, have an electrical charge in an oxygen-rich environment, you can 
splice the oxygen molecule and, and you can create a free radical and create an oxygen being two atoms of oxygen and you can generate O3, which is ozone. That means minor source. Um, the major source of, of ozone in the atmosphere that we think of, and I'm, I'm by far not a climatologist, but is, you know, the ozone layer itself, the one that we, that we talk about and what we try to protect that's created in the stratosphere. You know, UV radiation interacts with the oxygen and actually similarly splits the oxygen and generates ozone in the process. Okay, so basically you'll have two oxygen atoms make up one oxygen molecule, and by adding energy to that molecule, you'll break it apart into two individual oxygen atoms, and some of those oxygen atoms will come back together to form oxygen again, whereas that all that energy floating around will actually cause in some cases, three individual oxygen atoms to come together and create ozone, and that ozone is less stable. So, uh, not necessarily three, is it? So, when it when it splits it, it splits the oxygen, it creates a free radical, what they call it, and, it, and it's really like a, it's like an electron that's kind of floating. It, it's highly reactive, you know. And, and in fact, this is this is the reactive portion of ozone, is this free radical, and it wants to react to something. And so this free radical is floating around. It will attach onto another oxygen molecule, which is an O2. Mm-hmm. So you have an O and an o, o plus an O2, and you create an O3. Ah, okay, okay. So are these, that's, I mean, obviously that's how they're created in nature. Is that kind of the same principle that is used in ozone generators? Like is there a, an ultraviolet that creates the ozone generators, or how do the ozone generators on the market specifically for hunting how do they generate their ozone um most of the ones in the market just because of the size constraints that you're going to buy either you know on amazon.com or you're going to buy on ozonics or something like that are going to run on a corona discharge on a corona discharge type unit you're going to have generally a corona discharge tube there's flat corona discharge units, and there's also tubular units. Most of them are tubular just because of the heat dissipation. Um, and what it is is that tube actually serves as an electrode with air in the middle and passing an electric field across on that tube. And you have air in, in the process, or you can even have pure oxygen in the process. And you actually split the oxygen and create the ozone. The corona discharge type unit is... What you'd see is readily available in industry, I mean, as far as a hunting industry. It's the type of thing that you're going to see, like I said, for the ones that you're going to pump into a tote and eliminate scent and the ones that you're going to plug into your car, maybe take out the odors out of your car or even like ozone unit. There's also UV-based units. They are significantly less efficient. They produce a lot less. They're significantly bigger. The one benefit of the UV-based unit compared to a corona discharge unit is they're not impacted by humidity. Hmm. Now, uh, a corona discharge unit is going to be negatively impacted by humidity. There's a lot of different studies on this, but a good rule of thumb is for every percent of humidity is the percent loss you're going to see in ozone production. So if you have 70% humidity you're going to see a 70% loss in ozone production. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. Because obviously that's one thing we, as hunters we can't control out in the field. 
<laughs> exactly. And then, so also, if you have a standard unit, would be like a like a three hundred milligram per hour unit. You know, if you have fifty percent humidity, you're only going to get one hundred and fifty milligrams per hour of reliable production out of a Corona discharge unit. Just because the Corona discharge unit relies on almost like a near static electricity, and anyone who lives in a cold climate, you know, in the winter knows what happens when it gets dry in the house. You start to get shocks, static electricity becomes an issue, and if you don't have a, a humidifier unit in your in your furnace, static electricity can be an issue. When you have humidity in the air, you can't generate an efficient corona in the tube, and uh, as a result, your ozone production suffers. The UV unit, on the other hand, does very, very well. It's not impacted by these because the mechanism is very similar to how it works in the in the stratosphere with the Chapman mechanism. You know, it, the UV energy is putting the oxygen and it's creating ozone. But a UV wouldn't really be practical just from size standpoint for, say, like the hunting industry? Yeah, it, it's going to be relatively gigantic, you know, compared to a corona-based unit. It's also a light bulb. You know, so who wants a light bulb hanging above them in a the tree? Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of other things that weigh against it. The other one that, that I work with quite a bit actually doesn't generate a lot of ozone, but it, it still has application is uh, water electrolysis. So you actually you use electricity to split water. It's a real small yield version of it, not applicable in a tree stand because who's going to run a small electrolysis reactor and right. above them in a tree, so or in a toter to do any sort of scent uh, elimination in the garage. So now I'm curious with, I guess, professional uses, because obviously I think it would probably be safe to say that a lot of this ozone research developed in you know professional industry and then kind of spilled over into hunting when people saw that there was a use for it. When it's used professionally, do people tend to run units in dried environments or run like a dehumidifier in addition, and do they just run these machines on air, or do they actually hook up a 100% oxygen tank as the input to create more ozone? Well, in a professional environment, it's a combination of both. If you're in chemical manufacturing, pharmaceuticals, large volume wastewater treatments, or, uh, or any type of situation where you have a lot of ozone, what they generally do, rather than to uh, hook up an oxygen tank, well, I, I guess we'll step back. They're not going to use air just because the yield's not there. You know, air doesn't have enough oxygen. You're going to want to maximize the production of ozone by having more oxygen in the source. So what they'll do, rather than hook up an oxygen tank, because handling pure oxygen is highly dangerous. Um, especially around electricity. So what they'll generally do is they will employ a process to actually purify the oxygen before it goes into the ozone generator. So they use something like they call a pressure swing absorption or vacuum swing absorption to actually you know, push air through a molecular sieve and actually highly concentrate the oxygen before it goes into an ozone generator, which is generally a corona-based unit because you're going to get a higher yield out of it. By doing so, you can get up to, I believe, 
22% ozone versus, you know, when you're running with air, you're only running about 3 or 6%, something like that. Really? That's, and that's assuming, you know, a controlled environment, right? 3 to 6%, right? When you're running these uh, pressure swing absorption type systems, you have, uh, you're controlling the humidity, you're controlling the temperature, you're trying to keep the conditions, you know, as best as possible versus like in, you know, in your garage or, you know, in your bedroom while you're trying to eliminate odors, you know, it's, it's highly variable. Right. If the ozone output is so low compared to what you're pumping through the machine, what else are some of the products that are coming out of that ozone generation process? It's been a highly purified on a corona discharge unit, you're getting a lot of NOx type products, you know, the same stuff that they always complain about in acid rain. You have a chance to actually form something that's going to follow your corona discharge unit. Um, a nice thing about the UV-based units is you actually generate a free radical peroxide, which will actually do some oxidation for you. I mean, so, I mean, there's a lot of different things that are going on in the reactor yourself, anything that's going to react to electricity. But I mean, those are the major ones. You're going to get some nitrogen based byproducts and also some, uh, some peroxide based byproducts. Yeah. That does seem to make sense considering there's the air is primarily nitrogen based. Go ahead with your question that you were going to ask about as well. Yeah, so you mentioned um, some of the commercial uses. You, you mentioned like pharmaceuticals and that. Can you just touch on that briefly and kind of give the listeners an idea of which of these kind of commercial, where basically the ozone units are used and kind of why they're used in that commercial unit, basically? On the uh, pharmaceutical side, I mean, or even on you know chemical side, anytime you're trying to do an oxidation, so you're trying to add an acid group or an aldehyde, it's generally for a reason in chemical manufacturing. I think some some things that people probably have a better understanding for is the other uses, I mean, other than chemical manufacturing, just because it, I guess it hits closer to home, but water, water is a big one. For quite some time, chlorine was the fine, you know, chlorine or, or sodium hypochlorite was the final step in wastewater treatment, you had your activated sludge plant, you know, where you flush the toilet and all, all the wastewater goes to some place and you have you have a place where the bugs chew everything up and you have every, they have to meet discharge limits in order to discharge it to a river or an open body of water. And for a long period of time they used chlorine to do that. And there was a time in you know, not too long ago where Things like trihalomethanes became an issue, which is, you know, it's it's when the chlorine reacts with something organic in the wastewater and it generates a chlorinated version of it, which has some toxicity for it. And it, there was a big push to move to something that was cleaner as far as disinfection and removing viruses and bacteria. And so ozone was one of those solutions. And and to this day, it's it's very common to use ozone for, for water treatment. And it's used a lot in hospitals just because, I mean, if you just use a laundry detergent, you know, it removes dirt and grime from your clothes. But it does nothing for removing viruses and bacteria. So, I mean, in a lot in hospitals, what they'll do is they'll run ozone-based systems 
on their laundry systems to actually disinfect your laundry and make sure that their patients are that they have great living conditions because they're they're susceptible to uh, to get infections and things like that. Sanitizing pools, they'll inject ozone there too. Um, you see it a lot, and this is kind of how it applies to the hunting industry. You see it a lot in cases where they got to remove odors, where they uh, you have fire damage, and there's a smoke odor in the house. They'll put ozone generators in that room, and they'll hit it with a shock dose of ozone to remove the odor. You know, over the course of several hours, sometimes days, depending on how bad the damage is. In fact, I uh, I bought a truck um, about a year ago, my woods truck, you know, for hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been looking and looking for a good deal on one because it was a woods truck. And finally, I found one that, that kind of perked my interest. It had, you know, it was low miles and it had everything I wanted to. And I knew there was something up to it. And I got to it and it had smoke damage. The owner, the previous owner was a heavy smoker. I mean, it wasn't the type of smoker that cracked the window while he smoked. I think this is the type of guy who, who closed her up and <laughs> he got her nice and smoky. Because <laughs> it, it, it was rich. I mean, they, they had the car detailed when I got there, knowing that hopefully I would buy it. And uh, I bought it, knowing that I could use ozone to eventually take it out. And I did. It took a, a couple days and a, and a few hot summer days actually to push it all out but uh right now you can hop in that truck and it's it smells like a brand new truck gives you a little bit of the power of the ozone you know it, it's a general disinfectant i mean you can it's used all over the world this isn't disinfected so there's no shortage of a uh, of ozone use in the world along the lines of when you said you removed the scent from that truck that you bought i used that unit that i had built to clean out my garbage can in the summer after uh, the garbage man missed a pickup and mm-hmm. I was gone for a couple of days. It was pretty rank smell when I got back. And after a while with that uh, ozone generator, it did significantly knock down the amount of odor coming out of that garbage can. Yeah, it, it takes time. It's not perfect, but, you know, it's not going to take it all out in two hours. But, you know, with successive treatments, it can reduce it to almost nothing. So. And it's part of the reason that it takes so long just because it takes so long to get a high enough concentration because of the output of what the machines are capable of? Um, actually, no. I, the, the big issue that I actually have, you might even hit touch on this later, is not necessarily the output of the units, is that the scent is actually occluded. You know, it's actually inside the material. It's inside the fabrics. It's inside the foam. You know, and the only thing that really kind of pushes it out is, you know, a heat source or something like that. So it's just the ability of the ozone to be exposed to the scent, basically, in the fabrics. For sure. I mean, I mean, ozone's real tiny. It'll get in all those nooks and crannies, but at the same time, you know, it, it helps if you can move some of the stuff that, that's making the scent, you know, to the surface. Okay. So now that we've kind of got a, an overview of what ozone is, what the commercial use in, let's kind of dive into the meat and potatoes of this and kind of how it relates to the hunting world and mostly what's used in the hunting market. Obviously, you know, the big one, there's the ozonics, and now there's like the scent crusher bags and things like that. So let's take a look at the ozonics first. Is something like that unit 
you know, put above your head sitting in a tree stand, is that a viable option? Is that actually going to help reduce your scent given the variables that we just talked about, like the humidity? Um, is that something that would actually work in a hunting application? Uh, yes and no. The big thing is I think a lot of hunters don't, you know, before they, they, they try to tackle scent control and scent elimination, they don't truly understand what scent really is. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as funny as that sounds, I mean, if you look at scent and what it really is, I mean, there's a gaseous component I think that a lot of hunters dwell on, but there's also a particulate component associated with, with scent. And so, I mean, the gaseous component, you know, it can be fairly well-defined. I mean, you have a lot of fatty acids. You know, one of the big things that body odor is, is it's a methylhexanoic acid. It sounds complicated, but it really isn't. I mean, it, I mean, that's what really body odor is. A lot of people, what they think of as far as foot funk, it, it's just a lot of fatty acids. There's a lot of short and long chain compounds that kind of make up vaporous scent. But at the same time, there there's a huge particulate component to it. I mean, we're, we're constantly expelling, you know, skin rafts. We're expelling skin rafts at... About uh, 40,000 interrafts per minute would translate to millions and millions a day. You know, if you calculate it over a course of a, of a four-hour hunt, it kind of it, it kind of makes you stand back a bit. You know, the rafts are going to, they're not vaporous. They're going to perform a, a little bit different than air. You know, some of the lighter ones are going to perform a lot like, I mean, we talk a lot about using milkweed or watching your scent and everything but you know that that's really going to be your your lighter wraps but you're going to have some heavier skin wraps they're going to kind of fall to the ground and you know each one of these skin wraps it's going to have your sweat on it it's going to have things from your different sweat glands you know, all, all the pheromones and adrenaline associated with it i mean there's odor associated with that in addition to that, there's bacteria and funguses associated with that. I mean, and, it, and it's something very human about about skin. So in the end, you're you're left with, you know, several several options. You know, as a hunter to look at scent elimination. I mean, you're, we're talking about ozone here, but you also have you know activated carbon technology. You have technologies where you can seal in your scent. I, I think I, I listened to uh, a video from, or maybe it was an article from Bill Winky where he, he wrapped himself in garbage bags and he said he got away with murder because he wrapped himself up in garbage bags. He said, but he said it was unbearable because he was, it was essentially in almost like a Tyvek suit and you have ground blinds. You know, I, I've had great success, you know, in airtight ground blinds. There's odd things that, you know, that I've used personally where, you know, you actually, on the perimeter of your body, you've actually, you know, where I was really trying to cheat something, you know, as far as a wind, I've actually put some electrostatic clothing where I'd expect scent to actually escape on the edges of my clothing, you know, something like, you know, split microfiber or something like that. They all have their flaws. I mean, activated carbon, yes, it is, it'll, it'll absorb a lot of your primary components of your, of a vaporous scent, just vaporous scent very, very well, but it won't absorb some things like the low molecular weight stuff, like your 
simple salt of the earth type of sense, it won't absorb them very well at all. You know, so it's not it's not total scent elimination. But at the same time, you're kind of changing the scent fingerprint. Someone asked me why I still try to play around with activated carbon technology on my scent clothing. You know, it's, I kind of try to explain it like spaghetti sauce. You know, a spaghetti sauce has obviously has tomato sauce in it, has olive oil, has wine, has oregano, it has parsley, it has salt and pepper. Now, if if I had a suit on it, you know, that could remove the tomato sauce, you know, the parsley, the 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 black pepper and the olive oil and all you're left with with salt and oregano, would you really call it spaghetti sauce? Right, which makes sense. You're changing the fingerprint. So, I mean, there's a reduction that happens, but there's also a change in the whole structure of what, what the scent is. The same thing kind of goes on with ozone. Ozone's not going to destroy everything. I, and one of my pet peeves with the ozonics curb commercialization is you know they show the hunter in the in the tree stand and the ozone's cascading over him and it's blasting these scent molecules like asteroids <laughs> like you know a game of asteroids like you know it, and nothing's hitting nothing's hitting the deer well it, in truth that's not happening at all <laughs> you're not seeing these molecules completely blasted away the carbon dioxide you know it, if you look at what's been done They've actually done a lot of these studies with ozone and scent. And it's not been done, you know, on tree sand levels. It's done at 30,000 feet. They'll actually look at what passengers and airplanes are exposed to in elevated concentrations of ozone as far as what, what actually happens. And what they, what they find is, okay, when you have ozone in the environment, in a plane, a lot of what happens to this, you know, the, the skin oils, and your body, it, it doesn't just blast away the CO2. In the end, you're left with a lot of aldehydes that were once fatty acids. You know, it, it's a lot of, you know, byproducts of skin oil that, that are oxides. They're, they're different. They haven't gone away. And so the million-dollar question is, do those byproducts that are now changed a little bit, does that still make you smell like a human is ultimately the would be the end goal? That would be the end goal of this, uh, I, I, as far as a sin, a sin elimination type deal. I mean, it, are you are you gonna take what what's going on in a tree? By the time it hits the deer, are you gonna change it to something that's not harmful? And I've made this argument before, and and, and the thing is, I I've seen I put one of these things above me in a tree, and I, I've seen a positive impact, and. Knowing what I know as far as reaction rates and plausibility, it, it doesn't make sense in my head. You know, it, it's not feasible to have these scent molecules just, you know, be destroyed by the hit by the time they hit a deer. And, I mean, granted, yes, it, yes, some are being rendered, you know, a different scent, and but. I can't see it being enough to actually not alert a deer. And so I would, I, 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 I kind of came up with this kind of theory and, and it's still a theory because I mean, there's no way to actually prove it. You know, the, the field based ozone systems are essentially a nose jammer. 
what will actually happen is you have you have this plume of ozone that's you know in parallel with your uh, with your sense stream. You know, it's it's actually it, you know it's, it's right above it. It's not it's not cascading you know below it or you know it, it, it's it's right parallel with it. And when a deer hits your sense stream, it also hits his ozone set stream. And you know when a deer smells something, it actually you know it, when it gets a hint of something, it it, it sucks it in. You know it, it concentrates on a deer's scent receptors and. You know, it's trying to smell everything, and that ozone is highly reactive. It's soluble in, in the body fluid. It's going to concentrate near where the deer wants to smell, and at the same time, it's attacking. It's attacking the, the ability to smell, and the deer is actually impaired as far as its ability to smell. And, you know, it, when it walks away, the proteins that are that are in that they're in that that zone of, of smelling it they, they wash away they wash away the ozone I, I call it wash away but the ozone attacks those those proteins and the proteins kind of move on and and a deer kind of it regains the smell and, it, and I think it's also why a deer also if you've played around with these ozone ozone units sometimes they'll get alarmed at first when they actually catch that ozone streaming i think it's just because their scent is somehow temporarily reduced and you know it's almost it's almost like feeling blind i think for them because i mean their sight isn't very good um and they rely on their nose and their ears for everything and you take that away and it's got to be frightening and that's just my theory but it's almost like the the smell is so strong that the deer can't break apart. Back to your spaghetti sauce analogy, it can't smell the different parts of that spaghetti sauce, like the oregano and stuff like that, because that smell is kind of so strong in their nose that they lose the ability to separate out the spaghetti sauce like they would normally smell. Yeah, it, it could be several things. It could be it could be just the the pungent odor of ozone because ozone does have a pungent odor. It could be the fact that it's actually attacking, it's attacking their cells. I mean, anyone who's who's had a bad experience of ozone knows that you know it's it can make it back of your throat kind of raspy. At the same time, you know your concentrate ozone's got like a, it's really soluble in fluids. You know, water fluid, water-based fluids with like your blood. You know, so maybe when you're concentrating the sense, you know, at the nose, you're also you're also concentrating the ozone, you know, maybe you create a situation where the ozone is actually attacking things more readily. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on. What's going on? I don't know, but I can't argue that the, the field ozone systems aren't working because like I said, I've, I've seen some, some pretty crazy things. And that's with it's all, and that's been verified with you know with things like milkweed too. So, I mean, it's not like the ozone is not hitting them. It's it's you know it's bumping them in the face. And I know people like Todd Pregnance has actually you know posted videos of this stuff and and, and the effectiveness of it. But yeah, it's it's I, I would say the field-based units do have some 
merit. Are they going to make you invisible? I don't. I don't think so. You know, I, I think some deer are weary of it too. I think. I, I think some public land deer might even adversely react to having their scent, their ability to smell taken away. Um, but you know, it, it's just it's just something that you got to play with. Yeah, this is something that's been. It's very interesting to me this this topic because. It's something that I'm, like you said, I'm not really sure if we can prove why it works, but just based on what we know about like the science, like I had done research on ozone obviously before and, you know, kind of the same things that you were saying, it doesn't seem like it would work based on the fact that you're using just natural air as an input, which is going to have your ozone production already pretty low. And then if you're in a, you know, semi-humid environment with those Corona discharge machines, your actual ozone production seems like it would be extremely low you wouldn't think that um an ozonics unit in a tree would be effective yet there's plenty of guys that i respect as hunters who you know actually believe that it is working and they have some data to back it up so the mechanism is something that intrigues me i want to know why that you know we, we see these things that we do i just don't i can't explain it either yeah, I, I, I can't explain it here. I mean, I've had situations where, like, you know, they, the deer has been directly downwind, and I've had that that machine that I hate carrying. <laughs> believe it, I, I believe <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be honest, I hate carrying it. <laughs> and I rarely carry it, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll thump its head back, but at the same time, two seconds later, it wags its tail and it walks on. So... <laughs> Um, something, something's going on. I don't know entirely know what's going on, but, uh, but it's intriguing. And when you're not hunting, you, you think about why it's working. Yeah. I think the, inter- the interesting part of this whole thing is, you know, hunters look at just scent and you're looking at what is scent and what is scent made of. So like when you were talking about, you know, basically the scent being broken down, you know, hunters are just looking at the scent and obviously most hunters are pretty gullible to marketing and advertising like the Ozonics, you know, photo where it looks like it's just raining down over the guy. So it's blocking all of his scent from getting to that deer. So I think it's kind of interesting to look at your perspective from, you know, breaking down the actual, what is scent compared to where most hunters just look at scent. So that's kind of given a little bit more. And the, and the, and the big thing, I mean, that kind of, the reason kind of pushes me toward what I think about, you know, it's got to be something with the deer itself is the whole particulate aspect of it. I mean, the whole skin raft aspect of it. You know, you have a skin cell. You're not going to, you're not going to blow that thing apart with ozone. You know, <laughs> for it's going to take a long, long time. And it's going to continue to secrete, to secrete sense. I mean, there's got to be something along the lines with the skin rafts that, points to it the deer just can't for some reason loses its sense of smell for a period of time it would be like looking at your truck as an example again it took you days to get that smell out of your truck basically your a skin raft would be like your truck it's going to take a long time to be able to get all of that scent out of a skin raft not just seconds or minutes okay and you said before that skin raft i mean Skin is something that's very innately human and in, in odor. So you would think if if those pieces of skin, that particulate, is getting into a deer's nose, 
they should be able to smell that and they should be able to recognize that as human unless their ability to smell is somehow being impaired. For sure. I mean, uh, it's the same reason why, you know, deer travel the way they do in certain areas. I mean, it, it, it allows them to, to smell certain. I mean, it's the same. A lot of a lot of the best skin raft research, I mean, if someone's really interested in learning more about skin rafts, don't look at deer hunting. Look at dog training. That's where it all is. I mean, most of the guys that most of the guys that do dog training, and as far as not not, not just you know training for hunting, but you know, training to find dead people, trying to find people that have lost or, or fugitives or things like that, or people that can't find me. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of science as far as how skin wraps move through the environment and where to run your dogs. All the skin wraps pool, um, and it, it's pretty readily available. So I mean, if you if, with just a Google search. So I want I wanted you to touch on one more one thing that you mentioned kind of a little bit earlier. You talked about the ozone in your scent stream, and obviously, you know, in the marketing, they basically say that it covers your scent stream and falls to the ground. But you mentioned that it basically mirrors your scent stream, so it flows parallel to it. Is this you know, is it because of the density of ozone? Does ozone weigh more than, you know, your typical air so it's not falling through? Or how is that working, basically? You know, in a perfect, you know, static environment, it, sh- it should settle. You know, we it, it should stratify, it should stratify but, uh, but in the end, it, it, it doesn't because there's this, there's too much wind, thermals, things like that. You know, moving things around. I mean, it, it, if if the atmosphere completely stratified, you know, if if we were, you know, if all the CO two in the atmosphere and all the argon atmosphere settled out, we would all we'd all pass out. Right. So I mean, it, it it's denser. It wants to get down there. It wants to settle down. Um, but it's just not going to get there. It's a lot like oil and water. When you're mixing, when you're shaking it the whole time, they kind of mix together. But if it, everything is in a perfectly calm, controlled environment where it can settle, it will separate like that. Correct. Well, think about like milkweed. When you throw a pot of milkweed out there, it's so light relative. I mean, it's obviously denser than the air because if you drop oat or a milkweed pot and or a seed in a static environment, it's just going to fall to the ground. But out in the woods, that little piece of fluff could raise up into the air it could you know it's going to go wherever the the thermals and the uh convection of the air is taking it yeah that's a great example right there so now we've we've kind of talked about the ozone machines that would go above your head let's kind of transition more towards the bags and you know basically what they call washing and stuff like that so the first thing a lot of people always want to know is they always say it's bad on certain gear can you give us a list or do you know of any types of materials such as uh, fabrics, whether it's good on like ropes or webbing, like a, a saddle, for example, or rubber boots, um, the rubber ring on your binos? Is there anything you shouldn't put in ozone that's going to have a negative effect on it? I mean, uh, the, the, the webbing and things like that, um, that is generally okay, you know, in moderation. 
know, webbing and stitching and things like that. It's polyethylene or, you know, even like a bowl string is in Dyneema's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a long string, long chain polyethylene. Yeah, it is. I mean, the things that are bad, the things that are bad are, you know, things like nylon. And then again, nylon's bad. Um, you know, nylon's a polyamide. So anything polyamide is bad. All your rubbers are bad. You know, natural rubber, um, nitrile is going to be bad. Um, are there any kind of additives that could be put into, like, rubbers that go into boots? The styrene's bad. Yeah, and then I, I, I this wrapping, I mean, uh, neoprene would be another one that I'd be kind of cautious about. If you got, like, neoprene waders or something like that. Neoprene's not as bad as nylon, but I would still kind of be cautious about neoprene. As far as additives, a lot of things already have the additives. Okay. Believe it or not, I mean, I mean the, the nylons don't really have as much of the additives, but the rubbers in particular have additives. I mean, the, the rubbers that actually have actually have specific additives to them. I'm not going to list any off because, I, to be honest, it would take me probably 10 tries to say the complete name of it. <laughs> In the end, all this stuff is kind of like, kind of like wearing sunscreen on a hot summer day. Hmm. So, you know, it's uh, it'll 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 help you from not getting sunburned, but if you push it too much, you're still gonna get sunburned. So, a material that's prone to oxidation is not good to put in ozone, regardless of what additives are are put in it, or at least it's more likely to break down than other materials would be you know it's always used at your own risk you know because ozone is not going to be good for anything it's non-selective it's it's highly unstable it wants to react um and it's going to attack so anything that has a double bond or anything that that wants to get, that, that it's susceptible to reaction it's going to try to react to it and it's going to it's going to wear on your on your on your uh, expensive hunting clothing. All right, so that brings me to something that I that I'm interested in. You said it's highly unstable. Everything that I've kind of read and whether it's from a reliable source or not says that basically an ozone molecule has a lifespan of around an hour. So if that is true or you can explain whether it's true or not, if I pull my hunting clothes say out of one of these bags where it's been you know, washing or been in the bag of ozone after one hour is my clothes basically going to start building back up with the particulate, say the skin cells, the odor, the stuff like that on it. Well, I mean, once, once you put the clothing back on, yes, it's going to start building odor. Yeah. That, that just, or you even take it out of the bag, take it out of ozone. I mean, even the same thing, it, it probably still has odor. I mean, we'll go back to my original argument. I mean, you're probably what you have done is you haven't completely removed all the odor, but you've rendered it something that isn't human. You've rendered it something that is, you know, different. It, it's, you know, back to what what is ozone? It's an oxidizer. You've oxidized those compounds into something that's different. So I. In the end, yeah, you, you, you have something that's different. Um, and then 
as far as as far as life, ozone generally not measured in total life. I mean, it's it like a radioactive molecule is measured in half life. You know, so it's uh, one hour doesn't sound outrageous. You know, it's usually minutes to hours, just because there's humidity in the area in a completely dry environment. It could be days. You know, okay. if, if the temperature is cold enough, it could be it could be months. But you know, it, that's not typical ambient temperature. I mean, it's it's if you think about half life, half life. You know, if we say one hour, if it's a one hour half life, usually that, you know, that that means that after one hour, fifty percent, you know, is, is gone, and then one hour later, fifty percent of what left is gone, and one hour after that, fifty percent of whatever is left is so it, it's it's an exponential decay. Technically, never hit zero. <laughs> exactly. Well. <laughs> But it probably does, just right, because right. You know, there's so many sinks. That's the issue of ozone. Is and, and you'll counter it with your fabrics or or anytime you try to use it in an environment. Is that there's so many there's so many sinks for it. I mean, it it wants to react with so many things, and you know all those all those, all those studies done with half life and things like that. Those are done in clean environments. No reactants. You, you put this ozone in, a, in an atmosphere that has reactants. It's going to want to react, and and the it's not going to take long for it to uh, for not to be for nothing to be left. So if you have a bag full of stinky, dirty clothes, and you turn your ozone machine on for X amount of time and you shut it off, if the amount of odors and reactants in that bag is so great, then all that ozone that was generated is just going to be used up really fast it's going to do its job and then it's just going to be gone so is it just there's kind of like a balancing act between how long we need to be running a machine like that so that it can do its job effectively and render as much of that scent as possible as you know something that's non-human or less dangerous for a deer to smell but not so much so to go overboard that we start to break down the clothing and uh, yeah i wouldn't run it you know, con- continuous. You know, some guys. They, I see these guys. They, they generate these these almost like little lockers they keep in their garage, and they run the they run their ozone machine. You know, twenty four seven, three sixty five. They put their bow and their saddle and everything in there. Um, I would I would, especially life support systems like a saddle and, and ropes and stuff. Like, really really caution doing something like that just because you know you. You're asking for trouble, um, but you know if you run it for you know six to twelve hours, um, you know this. As far as if you got a big funk ticket out, you know, that's gonna get most of it out. You know, if it's pretty clean clothing and it's been you've been sitting in the woods all day, you know, thirty minutes to one hour is probably pretty good. You know, if if you're treating your clothing pretty good, I, I you know a lot of times well too, I'll. I'll do some, some like uh, truck hunts, you know, where I'll sleep in my trunk for truck for a week, and uh, won't shower at all, and you know, except for maybe in a creek or you know, you know, wet wipes and stuff like that, and then you know, get just get the funk out of the clothing, you know, just 
you know, just run it, run it through the ozone and uh, try to take care of most of it. So with these bags or the, the closets that you see people using, is air circulation better? Like you see some that have fans on them to kind of circulate more air through there, or is it better to put them in like a completely, like a tote, something that doesn't have a whole lot of air circulation? Um, it, it, more air, more air circulation is definitely better. And also not, not stacking your gear up, you know, into a pile. You know, so if you got like a, like a any, anytime you have an ability to actually, uh, you know, hang your gear up or try to create, you know, airspace between your gear, um, you know, in ozone, I mean, ozone treatment's really no different than trying to dry clothes in your dryer. Um, you know, if you take a, if you take a sock and, you, and it's wet and you ball it all up and you, and you throw it in your dryer for 60 minutes and you take it out and you unball it, it's probably still wet. But, you know, if you, if you uncoil it and you make sure it has a lot of surface area to dry, it's probably going to be dry by the time you take it out in 60 minutes. So, I mean, ozone's really no different. You know, if you give it if you give it enough area and stuff like that, it's, it's going to do pretty well for you. But if you, if you pile it all up and you expect a miracle, it's just not going to happen. So, based on that premise, the lockers or the closet styles are are better than a tote or a bag style, in your mind, at least. I, I still do the tote style, but what I'll do is I'll kind of cycle it in. Like I said, I do a lot, I do a lot of hunting, hunting on my truck. I'll have, you only have a small tote, you know, just that I'll have for like food and stuff like that. And it's not a very big tote, but I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw a garment in there and I'll, I'll run in there and I'll, I'll go eat dinner and then I'll switch it out and I run different garment through it. And I mean, I don't think anybody expected you to bring a closet truck hunting and set a closet up next to your truck just to, <laughs> to run, to run, to run your gear out of. I've looked so, into I mean, it. Just, they've they've made those little <laughs> those little vinyl closets that you can buy on Amazon that they're just collapsible and you can run like a you can run a bar up above the back seat in your cab and and then you can just hang all your garments in there. Of course you would, Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at this, what is there like a uh, how is it is it measured in parts per million of output or is it milligrams per hour? And if somebody's looking to get a unit, whether it be like a, I know it's going to be different for like an Ozonics unit that's going to be above your head compared to a unit that you're going to run on your clothes in a bag and a, and a thing. What what should they look for as is, you know, the parts per million or the output of it? Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's going to be kind of measured in milligrams per hour. And on the corona discharge units, um, those are all going to be based on dry atmosphere. So you're going to want you're going to want to correct for humidity. Um, you know the the general rule of thumb on a shock treatment. I mean, you know, I mean this is this is kind of what used in the in the industry is you know it's it's one to two grams per hundred cubic feet. I mean, so I mean it, it's actually pretty low compared to what we're actually you know, putting a lot of our, our gear in. Um, I generally recommend something, you know, you know, cause it's really easy to get it. something around a minimum of 300 milligrams per hour where it's good in a, in a, you know, a toad or a closet type environment. 
you know, you, you can run it for several hours and you can get a, a good positive effect. Is there a difference between running a lower or an adequate level output machine, like a three or a 500 for several hours versus taking like a five gram per hour unit and running it for like 10 minutes? Oh, for sure. I mean, because you have to deal with the half-life. There's definitely nothing wrong with a little bit more. Um, you just got to be a little more careful with it. I, I think I think you actually, if I remember correctly, you actually asked me. I think you bought a real big unit one time. I was looking at buying a big one. I was I was looking on, on eBay between getting like a 3,500 milligram or like a 500, and I wanted your input. We ended up deciding on the 500. Yeah, I think, and then you were going to ride in the back of your truck or something like that, yeah. a bigger unit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, it was something you could do, but I mean, it, it was it was way more ozone than you needed. I mean, 30, I mean that you could run that, you know, 3,500, you run it for 30 minutes, that would be 1.75 grams over the course of, uh, you know, a half hour. And that puts you right at that, that two gram per hour type of thing. Is it ideal? Probably not. Um, but it, you know, it gets you. It gets you to the where you want to be. But like I said, it, there's a lot that kind of goes on with the with the fabrics, and that you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's easily accessible by the ozone. You know, it, it's really there. But you got to kind of rely on time mm. to get the stuff that's kind of you know occluded in the fabric. You know, so I. It's generally better to have a smaller unit that puts out less than a, a unit that puts out way too much. Because uh, in the end, if you put, if you get that unit that puts out way too much, you're just going to end up damaging your your uh, your clothing and you know your fabrics and things like that. That's really good to know. So just I kind of want to jump back just a little bit. I just thought of something. Um, does it have a negative impact on adhesives? Like a glue or something that would hold fabrics together? For, for sure. I mean, uh, um, and it depends on the adhesive. I mean, uh, I know, uh, you know, some, some, you know, if the adhesive is like a polyamide-based adhesive, which is very similar to nylon, I mean, that, that's kind of like what, like a hot melt glue is kind of like a polyamide it it'll start to break down it'll crack you know it, it really depends on the adhesive i mean it it's epoxy i i don't think epoxy reacts negatively to it but i mean it but yeah it's really going to depend on the adhesive i mean if, if the best i mean and the worst part is we really know as hunters what they use in a lot of the clothing that we buy even though we we fork over uh, tons of money for high-end clothing Oftentimes we don't know what we're doing to our clothing when we put it in these machines other than we think that we're doing the best thing for it. So the reason I ask, I had a a full Kuyu, you know, top to bottom base layers, everything, and I guess I they whatever glue they used in the early stages when they made Kuyu was not very good with ozone. I pulled my gear out and everywhere they used an adhesive, it was no longer adhered. Uh, like the pit, the pit zips were hanging off the like press on pockets on the chest were hanging off. It had completely destroyed 
by Kuyu Gear. Yeah, I would guess that's polyamid based. I think they've changed it now because I still use it in moderation with my Kuyu Gear, but it that first early run of the Kuyu Gear they did, it destroyed it. Yeah, isn't Kuyu known for using like laminated seams instead of like stitch seams? Yes, for the most part. Okay. On a lot of their gear. I wanted to touch on the, the health aspect of it. You know, we referenced a couple times earlier, you know, like running it in your vehicle and, you know, like probably a lot of our listeners are aware, you can buy units that plug into the cigarette lighter output of your vehicle and output a low amount of ozone. Um, you had mentioned before that it can kind of make the back of your throat scratchy. It's kind of a respiratory irritant. Um, is there kind of any warning signals or, I mean, how much ozone should you really be exposing yourself to? And is, will you know if you've had too much? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, early warning signs are, you know, if you get a scratchy throat, uh, eyes start to burn, headaches, um, you know, I, those are all the, and those typically only happen if, you know, either they're set up wrong or, or they're trying to use the units in the in enclosed space, um, I, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that ozone, you know, shouldn't be used at all. But you, you definitely have to be careful about it. You know, in, in a tree stand, um, I mean, you got a couple things going for you. One is, you know, generally you have this thing pointed downwind. It's no different than, you know, hunting, uh, hunting for deer. You know, you. You know, you you don't want the deer to hit to smell you, and you don't want the ozone to hit you. So, you know, you take those type of provisions, and then we all we talk about thermals too. And your body actually, you know, it's a thermal itself. I mean, it's the reason why rafts fly off your body like crazy is because when you're hunting in the woods and it's cold outside, um, you're a thermal itself. And so, I mean, even though you might have the ozone, the ozonics unit you know, point it down to you in, you know, in a tree stand, it, it's the, the natural tendency as far as thermals is going to want to push the ozone away from you just because there's a thermal action with your body. And, and then, you know, in the house, you know, as far as using these things in the house, you obviously want to be, want to be cognizant of, of, of the hazard. So I generally, I'll, I'll run it in, in unoccupied space in my house, or in my garage, or in my basement. Um, since my wife's a vet, I'll make sure it's. Uh, I'll make sure you know there's no pets around in that area. So uh, I mean, those are all those are all things because you're gonna potentially have an elevated area of ozone. In in the concentration is pretty low, you know, as far as you know how much how much ozone you can have. You know, personally, I mean, I think if you look at OSHA, the OSHA limit for ozone is like 120 ppm. So it's a 120 micrograms per meter cubed. You know, and that's an eight-hour time-weighted average. You know, just because that's how OSHA does things. Um, you know, and and you you look at okay, you're gonna put you're going to put 300 milligrams per hour in, in a, over the course of an hour in a, in a container that's much smaller than a meter cubed. 
you know, so just be careful around it. You don't want to be breathing it all the time. But like I said, in a, in a tree stand, you can set it up so you're not at risk. You know, also, in, you know, just doing treatments in your house, you know, you can set it up so you're not at risk. You know, you, you have it enclosed and you're just not exposed to it the entire time. So it's safe to say it's a bad idea to have it plugged into your car and be driving somewhere with it plugged in for long periods of time. Yeah, I, yeah. Garrett's idea of driving and putting the extended canvas pickup, you know, the curtain. <laughs> well, I would, I would put it inside like uh, they got those like vinyl, like flexible closets so you can zip up. They're airtight. Oh, <laughs> airtight. Yep. I've seen a lot of people on social media that post things where they have like it plugged into their cigarette lighter and they're like, Oh, on our way to Kansas, seven more hours to go running our Ozonics <laughs> or unit in the truck. And I'm just like, that, that, that can't be good for your health. No, no, you're going to wake up the smoker's cough in the morning and not feel too hot. So, <laughs> yeah. So kind of on that note, what are some of the biggest misconceptions or misuses of, ozone that you see on forums on social media things like that i mean it's it's kind of the same thing with all the scent elimination stuff it's it's treating it as a catch-all and not truly understanding what scent is that's one of the biggest pet thieves is you know i i i the people that that tell the activated carbon you know they they completely ignore the skin wraps and you know the and, and the people that tell it the ozone, they they you know, they treat it like like I said, it's like a, a game of asteroids, and it's just blowing things up in the middle of the air. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to laugh at some of these things that 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 you hear. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, it has merit. You know, it, it you know, there there's something that is going on. It, there's there's an elimination that's going. There's a reduction that's going on. You, you you are rendering, you know, even if you're not eliminating the scent, maybe you're rendering it to something that is different than something that would cause alarm to a white tail. So, I mean, that there, there's a lot of things that are going on. I mean, I, but that's a big thing is I wish that people took more consideration to what's going on with their skin, I guess. In the whole vapor phase, you know, as far as I mean, best, the best thing you can do is, like I said, is wear rubber boots, tuck your clothing in, be careful where you walk, hunt high. You know, I, the same, the same, the same stuff that you know the guys that say scent elimination doesn't work. I mean, all those stuff, all that stuff works, but you know, if you add, if you add these other things, it just makes it that much better. I'm. That's, I mean, that's about all I've got. Garrett, you've got, do you have anything that we miss that you want to cover? The only other thing I wanted to cover is just kind of how this, how this can fit into an overall scent reduction system, which Sean just kind of touched on a little bit. Um, if we're able to say that uh, ozone does something, it helps in some regard, as does all these other things, maybe the best course of action is for somebody to just employ as many uh, scent elimination tactics 
as as feasible or as makes sense or as they're willing to do while being cognizant of the fact that if they're they play the wind uh, that's still going to be uh, regardless of what else they do that's still going to be a, a good option yeah that, that's that's still going to be your best option i mean it, it, as much as i like to say that hell this stuff works you know because we spent over an hour talking i believe now um you know that's that's your best option and the most important thing i think with a lot of things is is keep it fun (laughs) i mean (laughs) i mean if if you're gonna i mean i love the whole scent elimination similar scent elimination thing and and making sure that you know that my things are clean but and if you're not having fun doing it, I mean, stop doing it. I mean, and sometimes it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I hunt a couple spots. You know, I get to walk over two miles back. You get back in the spots, you're all sweated up. You know you're going to change into your clothes, into a different set of clothes at the base of your tree. Does it really make sense to go through all this, to go through the ozone, to go through the activated carbon, to go through... You know, all the different steps. No, it doesn't because you're, you're reeking of other stuff and you're covered in sweat. You're changing at the base of the tree. You're leaving a lot of other things. But if, you know, you got a, a moderate walk, maybe like a, a half a mile or something like that and pretty pretty controlled environment and you got a, you got a situation maybe where, you know, you got a, a difficult setup and the wind isn't quite in your favor and you're kind of threading the needle on things and maybe you're going to change right and change at the base of the tree you're going to change 100 yards from your tree and then you're going to kind of inch your way in and i mean all the all these things kind of they can add into and call it the perfect trap so i kind of want to wrap this all up now that everybody's kind of heard your perspective on it Tell us your scent elimination regiment, what you use and how you use it. I don't have a of a concrete regiment. Some days I, I do nothing. <laughs> I'll be honest, you know, I, 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 if I'm running late and I got and I, I want to get in the woods, you know, I, I I I'll throw my camel on and you know, and granted, yeah, it's not it's not sitting and covered in oil or anything. It's you know, it's sitting in a bin, and maybe I. Maybe I ran through the ozone machine, but maybe I didn't. But I'm going in the woods. But you know, if I got a if I got a specific buck in mind, and um, you know, I or I or I got you know a hunt that I've been thinking about. You know, I I don't mind taking the extra steps. You know, I'll I'll run the I'll run the ozone machine in my clothes. I'll I'll do a little extra. I'll you know I'll I'll put a and then if I have to, you know, and, and I feel like it's beneficial, I'll run that little the ozone machine above my head. But like I said, it, it's all, it all depends on the hunt and whether it's fun or not. And that, and that, and that's a big thing. You know, if, if I'm carrying a ton of gear and it's not fun anymore. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not happening. <laughs> I couldn't agree with that part anymore. I mean, I don't really have a, scent elimination regiment i just hunt because that's what's fun to me if i start worrying about 
my scent, which way it's blowing, what it's doing, I just it doesn't make it fun for me. There's a lot of videos on YouTube where these guys you know, they're staying on tubs and they're watching where they're walking and you know they got specific washing machines and dryers in their house. You know that mm-hmm. you know how they wash their clothes and I'm like it's cool. It's cool because you know they're actually challenging themselves mentally. You know and they're pr- and they're likely getting enjoyment out of it because you know that that that's how they that that's an aspect of hunting that. I, I think some people don't appreciate that you know that there's an intellectual aspect of it, but at the same time, you know, if it's that much work, and I got limited time, you know, and, and it's and it stresses me out because I can't be in the woods quick enough, then it probably isn't worth it. Completely agree with that. Yeah, the only the only thing that I would add from my personal perspective is that the more likely I am to get winded on a certain spot or a certain hunt, the more likely I would be to go through all of the, as many steps as I could. If it was kind of one of those almost wrong wind spots, but if it was one of those spots where I knew I was going to have the wind and, or maybe I didn't have time to do any kind of set control, then that's the kind of spot that I'm going to go sit and not going to sit in one of those, you know, iffy stand sites. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's kind of what's getting it. Like, you know, you got, you got, you got one specific buck in mind. You got one shot at it. You got kind of an iffy wind. You think it's the right wind, you know, and it's not foolproof either. I mean, like I said, I mean, everything that, you know, whether we wear activated carbon, whether we wear ozone, it's not scent elimination. I, I can't stress that. It's not scent elimination. It's scent control. You're reducing something. You're rendering something different. You know, it, it's, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be sent free. You're never gonna be sent free. You know, you're 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 just reducing a profile. You're reducing, you know, you're, you're bringing a call a reduced impact to the situation. And I can't agree more with what you said. You know, it, you know, if you got an iffy situation, that's that's probably the best the best bet. Right. Well, we really appreciate having you on, Sean. This is I know I've learned quite a bit. Uh, we've been wanting to do this for a while it's been good to finally get this one on the books i think that listeners will enjoy this one quite a bit too yeah you're the first guest on the the diy sportsman's podcast <laughs> yep you know i you know you guys launched this and it was kind of in the middle of deer season night and uh i've been waiting to listen to it you actually had one on the show i haven't even listened to it yet yeah you'll probably be able to listen to it and tear it apart i don't know <laughs> but i definitely learned a few a few new tricks or a few new explanations today. And hopefully the listeners learned and kind of was able to follow along and understand with, you know, it's not elimination, it's a reduction in how that ozone affects the reduction of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And with that, we'd like to once again thank everyone for joining in. We've been getting a few questions on where the best place to listen to the podcast is. In addition to the DIY Sportsman website and the Sportsman's Nation website, you can find the podcast on most any podcast streaming app on the App Store. Just make sure to search for the Sportsman's Nation podcast, not the DIY Sportsman podcast. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far through the first 10 episodes. If you have any specific ideas for topics you'd like us to cover, please let us know through Facebook, Instagram, or the website contact form.